0: Welcome, everybody. My name is Kai Hoffman. I'm the CEO of the SOAR Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of SF Live. This is episode 15. Today, I'm joined by Ascot Resources CEO and President Derek White. And we're going to talk about the feasibility study they put out about 48 hours ago. And it's still timely. They only held one call and we're really excited to have Derek on to explain a few things and uh, talk about the feasibility study. Uh, but before we get started and uh, get Derek here on, the cam- on camera as well, let- let's talk about the format quickly itself. ASCOT got is uh tickers is aot and we're using hashtag ask aot for your questions so please tweet your questions using hashtag ask aot and we'll get to those in a minute once derek has run us through the feasibility study so i am going to get derek on derek welcome to the show and uh, thanks for making the time this morning i know you're super busy so how, how are you doing first of all
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kai, for having me on your show. Uh, Yeah, it's been a busy time. I mean, I'm learning a little bit more about how to connect virtually. So uh, um, it's a new learning experience for me. But uh, uh, you know, we were happy to get that feasibility study out and uh, really happy to be uh, part of your broadcast.
0: Now, fantastic. And um, before we talk about the feasibility study in detail, uh, obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Things are slowly looking better. And I hear Germany, for example, is opening up schools again, and it's slowly happening. We're transitioning very, very slowly back to normal. But how has the whole situation impacted your feasibility study and how you've been working on it? Just give us a little more color, and of course, how has it changed the day-to-day at ASCOM?
1: Yeah, um, well, so for the feasibility study, we were originally planning to try and get it out by the end of March. And we, you know, COVID-19 kind of really hit us really about the second week of March. Um, We had to sort of adjust from a normal where you would get together, especially with engineers meeting around a table to doing everything virtually. Some of the engineering people lost people that went home because they're from other countries and they needed to get home. And so things got spread out a little bit. Um, And so, you know, we just had to take a little more time. We were able, we were largely done, so that was good. Um, and, And we were delayed by about two weeks in getting it out. But, you know, it did work. And we started to get a lot more used to sharing information and connecting as we are now uh, through a video chat. Um, For Ascot itself, you know, um, at the site itself, uh, we had permission to be an essential service and we run a water treatment plant there. And so some of our employees who are based in Stewart are able to go across the border up to the the site every day and they have special uh, exemption to do that. The small communities in Northern British Columbia don't want people from Vancouver or, you know, and the Nishka Nation, they, they don't want us coming up and visiting the concerns are obviously if they get a COVID spread there they just don't have the hospital capacity to deal with it Um, we have donated a bunch of our hazmat suits and masks and stuff to the community of Stewart so that they can cope a little bit better but really it's a it's a a freeze on any kind of travel into that area so the people that live there continue to work on things but um, you know for us uh, we've kind of got to just play it by ear in Canada as a whole, the mining industry has been different in each each province. Some provinces have shut down completely. Others have tried to restrict travel and others have requested, even inside of Canada, quarantine for 14 days uh, before you can actually go and do things. So, you know, this is evolving. Um, we originally were gonna start a drill program on May the 1st at Ascot. We postponed that till June the 1st, pending how we see the flattening of the curve of the... Uh, and, and again, we could run the program with just people there um, we'd like to have some of our geologists and stuff go up there, but we obviously don't want to have any kind of risk to the community. So it, there has been some changes for sure.
0: No, no interesting. And one thing is, like, if somebody mentioned to me, you can't even travel from Montreal to Val d'Or these days, right? It's oh. all blocked off, for example. So, and you also yeah. want the right people on site as well. It's like it's great having maybe a driller on site, but you want the right people on site as well. That's that's key.
1: Yeah, so. and so we we are we are trying to look at you know what we can do, and 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 you know we obviously safety first. So we're trying to make... excuse me, trying to make sure that, you know, we, we have the flexibility to work within the parameters that the BC government and the Canadian government is putting out.
0: No, fantastic. Derek, I understand you're a bit under time constraint. You got a bunch of calls lined up. And uh, of course, putting a feasibility study out uh, attracts a lot of calls. So I want to talk about the feasibility study now people can see it like I put up the press release on, on screen and our faces are right next to it. But uh, before we get into any questions, maybe you can just quickly give us like the the, the highlights, just summarize them in your own language, like in your own words, yeah, and maybe absolutely. point out a couple things that people should look out for before we get into
1: questions. Yeah, and so the focus of our study was really to maximize the cash flow to potential or our existing investors. And, and so this wasn't about how much gold we could produce or, you know, I mean, although that helps, it, it was mostly about how do we maximize the value. And that may be a little bit counterintuitive. So, but what the focus really was is get the initial capital as low as possible um, for a reasonable size mine, uh, reduce the operating cost to, to uh, as low as possible because those are the things that really drive the financial metrics. And then try to optimize the maximum amount of production we can we can get for that. Um, the assumptions that we made during the time, because you know metal prices were moving around, we used a uh, a fourteen hundred dollar U.S. Um, per ounce gold price. Um, I appreciate that's three hundred dollars you know lower than what it is today, but gold prices have been moving around, and usually for uh, independent 43101s, hundred ones, they're going to be conservative in their approach. We used a $17 silver price, but silver really has no impact on this. It doesn't matter if we used a $12 silver price or a $20 silver price, it's not really relevant. And that was just because that was an average that the QPE had felt comfortable at the time that they were doing a lot of the reserve calculations. And we've used in a Canadian dollar exchange rate of about 0.76, which is, again, a little bit more conservative than where we are now. In general, right now, as a gold producer or as a, in Canada, it's a very, very good time because there's the kind of a trifecta effect, if you like, where you have three major factors happening, the gold price rising, um, and especially because of all the printing of money in the United States um, and around the world, not just the United States, you know, Germany, the European Union, a number of places are going to have to print a lot of money. Uh, number two, um, that uh, you're seeing currencies like the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar become much weaker. Um, energy and uh, oil prices have a major impact on the Canadian dollar, and so we're seeing that weakness. And then finally, you know, very, very cheap uh, diesel prices at the moment because, you know, things are are, are are at a low. So, you know, for gold mining companies, it, it is a very good time to be be a developer or be somebody that's going to come in. The big advantage of being a developer over being a producer is producers to some level have had to shut down. And, you know, a lot of their workforce has been sent home and, and some of them are having to deal with liquidity issues. You know, we were lucky that we had done a financing in February just before this all hit. So financially, we're in good shape. We don't have to go out and raise money tomorrow. You know, we, we've got enough to kind of make sure that we're in, in, in good shape there. When we kind of hit the highlights of the feasibility study, we have a resource of about 12.8 million tons, of which about 7.3 is measured and indicated. And in a feasibility study, we can only convert that portion. And we converted that to about 6.2 million tons of reserves. And an and and initial capital, roughly of about 100 million US or about 147 million Canadian. Um, the peak uh, production rate that we hit is 180,000 ounces in year two, um, and because we basically took dilution to to uh, improve the mining method from a cost and development perspective, we're able to keep a fairly low cost at 769 dollars per ounce all in, which includes all capital royalties. So we're in the top. Uh, if you like, um, one, uh, the lowest one-third of the cash cost curve, which is important for us. At $1,400 gold, um, we have a 51% IRR, which is extremely good for a project, and we're benefiting from the infrastructure that Beleden and Westman had put in place at this mine, um, and a $340 million NPV after tax. At spot prices, that NPV doubles to around $600 million, and the IRR goes to 78%. And so, You know, we have a fairly robust project um, uh, out there and the job is for us is to build on that. It's a great starting point. And yes, we we have some ways and opportunities, I think, that we can increase the production level and improve the cost. But as a starting point, this bodes quite well for us. So at 50,000 feet, if you like, um, you know, we have a very short construction time, a very low capital, um, pretty good looking cash flow and a low operating cost and an opportunity to grow quite a bit because we can convert quite a lot of our reserves, uh, sorry, resources into reserves as we go along. And we have the opportunity for much more exploration potential as well. So a good starting point, but that's uh, you know, a platform to build on.
0: That's fantastic actually, because uh, as you said the 50,000 foot view and one thing you mentioned is uh, timeline to construction. What, what's the roughly like, uh, how long will it take to go into production for, and you're pouring on site yeah. as
1: well. So how, how long till uh, first pour? Um, so, you know, that, that, that's kind of divided into three parts. Um, and i am going to go work backwards. So the construction time, because we're not really building, we're more refurbishing is about 12 months. Um, the mill part of it, which is probably the most complicated part of it is about 40 weeks, roughly speaking. Huh. Um, and then we have to do things for refurbishing the tailings, connecting the power, doing all those things. So uh, roughly about a 12 month period. Now that 12 month period can't start until the Mines Act amendment is, amendment is granted to us and that amendment process for us is working with the First Nations, the Nishka Nation, um, and making sure that they're happy with what's going on and the regulators taking about nine months to do that and we're hoping uh, to make that application this summer but um, you know COVID-19 and other factors, we're just not sure how that's going to play out. But that, once that is granted, it's a 12-month construction time frame, which is very, very short because typically these things take two and a half years to three years to get get up and going. Um, the second component of that is the long lead-time order. So we need a sag mill and a ball mill, and they take, roughly speaking, in normal times, eight months to deliver and ship to the port of Stewart. Again, I'm not sure if we're in normal times. We want the motors to come from you know places like Germany, and we want the steel fabrication to come <laughs> from places probably like China. Um, how how the manufacturing is going on in those two countries is it's evolving and so you know even if we did place that order tomorrow it's not necessarily that they could produce it and ship it and so again that that's an evolving thing so really the front end is really kind of where we're waiting and we we kind of have to sort of see how that plays out but once things get back to normal and we're able to do that you know i think we, we have the advantage of having a relatively uh short construction it's really a refurbishment plan than a pure construction plan
0: no, fantastic. It sounds, it sounds really good. And uh, I've, I've been to site as well. It's been almost two years now, year and a half, two years ago. And uh, as part of the the whole feasibility study, obviously, you get Red Mountain included. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're going to start taking Red Mountain into uh, or start producing from Red Mountain in year three, if I read correctly.
1: Yeah. So the sequencing for us is really to start at Premier and get it going. And we would mine the big Missouri and silver coin first. And what we're doing is optimizing the capital development and you know, grade flow to the to the mine. And then in, in year three, we'd start to bring in Red Mountain. Red Mountain, um, you know, we still need to build a road to connect to that area. And I mean, that road is in the feasibility study at about $11 million cost There's some optimization, um, really, you know, kind of the last part of the road up the steep part of the mountain. We, we basically are still looking at some opportunities to improve that, but in, in the basic feasibility study, it's pretty similar to as uh, IDM had laid out in their original feasibility study. Um, Red Mountain's ore is much harder, so it's harder to process. Um, the recoveries aren't quite as high, and you have to grind it to a 25 micron. So in our feasibility plan, by year three, we augment our mill with what's called an isomill or fine grinding system, and we also add additional thickening capacity, um, and that capital is buried into the sustaining capital that comes in year three. And so, you know, we we, we the, the Red Mountain ore reduces our capacity at the mill a little bit because it requires more power, and there's only so much power we can put into the mill. So you know, the more we can have premier ore uh, feeding it in the beginning, the the quicker we can rise up to a higher rate, and obviously the mark zone at 10 grams a ton, which is a very high grade, we want to bring in, um, and so the i the, the best sort of scenario for us is to sort of blend that in, in year three when we can adjust adjust the mill and we can uh, for the fine grind and we can get the road in place at Red Mountain.
0: Okay, no, that's fantastic. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Price assumptions, is one thing. I, one question I had, and you mentioned it, you hit fourteen hundred dollars gold, seventeen dollars silver price. Uh, just just to clarify, and you mentioned, of course, fluctuations with the current market environment are difficult. But uh, what did you base the price assumptions on?
1: Um, so the fourteen hundred dollars gold um, is what, and again, you have to remember at the time that they were doing these reserves and all the work, which was really in the fall of twenty nineteen and early twenty twenty. You know, metal prices were kind of floating around between fourteen and fifteen hundred. And the independent um, QPs basically kind of look at averages. They look at consensus prices, um, and uh, consensus prices was moving from about 1350, which is where the cutoff grades were done, to about 1400. Now, in the last month and a half, I mean, people can say, "Well, gee, how come you don't use like 1600 or something like that?" But they're not going to jump up that quickly. Um, There is obviously in today's a, a huge financial benefit to the new prices, but. You know, the independent engineers that do these things are generally pretty conservative. And what we've seen in other PEAs or feasibility studies is a range between 1350 to 1450. And we're kind of smack in the middle of it. And we to like to be conservative. So we feel that that's reasonable based on the timing of things and where we've seen other people do these things. Okay. I and again, wh- the silver silver doesn't make a difference, so it doesn't really matter.
0: Okay. Uh, two questions, actually. Can you sell a silver stream of royalty? And then I've got another another one for after that. But uh, yes, before we get can. to the Twitter questions.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, we, uh, we can sell a silver royalty. We produce about 3 million ounces of silver. We have an opportunity in the future for some very high-grade silver. Um, and I think we want to get a little better handle on that before we absolutely sell a royalty on it. But yes, we've had actually an offer um, for a silver royalty um, already in place. Okay. Um,
0: using a higher gold price, what would
1: that do to your reserves and resources right now? Like, wouldn't have you calculate your resources pro, 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 at and reserves at? So. Well, yeah, our resources and reserves have been calculated at thirteen fifty gold and probably at about $15 silver. And so, if we, you know, obviously, if we used the, the resources, would actually grow quite substantially. Um, the reserves aren't just based on the price, they're based on a pile of, of, of mining factors, so it wouldn't really change them until we redid the mine plan. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Um, let's switch over to Twitter because we got a,
0: quite a few questions in. Um, okay. let's, swi- let's switch over there and ask AOTs the uh, the hashtag you can use for that. And one of the first ones is, uh, can you please clarify the NPV currency? I read that it's Canadian dollars, which is usually atypical. So maybe people misread, or can you, if you could clarify, no, be great.
1: Uh, you no, know, in in Canada generally, um, the currency we try to stick to is all Canadian dollars. We try to do all the costs. Other than the operating costs in, in Canadian dollars. Okay. Um, and so the currencies that you see here are Canadian dollars, both for costs and for uh, for financial results.
0: Okay. And uh, to clarify, everybody can see the questions on the right hand side. Well, it's my right hand side. It's probably the left hand side. I don't know. Um, on, on, on the screen. Um, and the question came in from Golden Dreams, Jim Foster here on, on Twitter. And then, uh, can you elaborate on costs and timeline to convert inferred resources to reserves?
1: Um, Yeah, so uh, the very first thing is that we have about 2.2 million tons of inferred resources that sit within 100 meters of the uh, underground mining infrastructure. And in the first two years, we'll have an opportunity for underground. We're going to be there mining anyways, where we'll try to drill that stuff up. So the time frame would be to concentrate a lot of the underground drilling, especially in the big Missouri, where we start mining right away uh, very quickly. So in those first two years, that's when we would try and do it. Generally, underground mining, drilling, because we're there anyways, because we don't have any development costs, is is fairly cheap for us. It's probably $50 a meter or something like that. So, you know, we have some fairly low cost opportunities to drill. And the program, you know, you're talking probably in the neighborhood of about $15 million spread over two or three years to, to try and convert some of that. Then the next level of resources that are farther away, I don't know yet. We haven't really planned on that.
0: Okay. Uh, and his third question, and uh, that uh, also through Golden Dreams here, is Is the company planning to expand the production rate prior to construction or perhaps later?
1: Um, if we feel that we can get enough of the premier ore uh, uh, um, more upfront, um, we, we know that this mill ran at almost 3,000 tons a day in its past history. And so, you know, to go to 200,000, to take the ounces from where we are. So 200,000 ounces, we only have to increase the mill rate by roughly from 2,500 to 2,800, and we have to increase the diluted grade to the mill from 5.9 grams to 6.4. And so, uh, through the optimization studies that we do, if we see that we've got enough to do that, yes, the production rate will happen. It doesn't really happen so much from the change; it's it's it, it's just more the amount of the dilution to the to the mill from the mining.
0: Okay. Um, Another question we had come in is uh, from from Jeff Habermacher, Gold Stock Trades. And the question is like, uh, who's currently backing your shareholder base? Obviously, um, you got the PE fund out of San Francisco. But also, um, I'm I'm adding that part to the question is like the research houses, have they started picking up coverage and have they looked at the feasibility study and analyst reports? Yeah, so
1: we just released the feasibility yesterday. So it takes a little bit of time, but um, I think we're going to have coverage. uh, A new report was put out uh, this morning by GMP Stiefel. Um, There was another one put out by Desjardins. Um, We believe we're going to get some updated coverage from Agentist Michael Gray. Um, And I think he put out a a piece on us and he's hoping to pick up coverage and also from uh, Paradigm. So we we do believe that there will be some coverage happening over the next week or so. Some of it came out today and some should come pretty quickly. Major shareholders, Eric Sprott at about 9.9%. Um, Franklin Templeton in, in the U.S., another major show, Ruffer in the U.K., Earth Resources, um, are, and, and the, the Juan family that we, bought, uh, that we bought Silvercoin off of are probably the, the bigger shareholders that are out there.
0: Okay. No, fantastic. Um, to sort of sum it up, because you are on a time constraint, and it's great. I think we talked about all the important issues. I have a question. You, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the highlights that there's still room for optimization. Uh, maybe you can give us an overview. Like, what would have Derek White uh, changed in the feasibility study, or what would you have yeah. optimized would like to see in there? If we
1: had more time, uh, the three things that we think could add more value to this are A, converting resources, but, you know, and um Changing the mining method um, from long hole and uh, to what we call shallow mining because we can reduce the dilution. So we're going to increase the grade. Because remember, we're taking something that's almost eight grams a tonne and feeding it at just under six grams a tonne. So that can make a huge difference to us. And then finally, optimizing the processing for Red Mountain to a flotation system, we think can reduce capital and operating costs in processing. So those three things have big impacts. It's already a very, very cash flow robust uh, project, but it could be even better and uh, Derek White and his crew will be working on those things uh, after the call
0: Awesome I love referring in third person I think I met one other one CEO in the <laughs> industry who always refers to himself in the third person always makes me smile So, um, Derek really appreciate you coming on thanks for taking the time I know you've been busy um, everybody else thanks for tuning in please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel make sure you turn on the notifications follow us on Twitter Instagram we're here for you this is a format for you for the listeners make sure to ask your questions and we'll be happy to answer them anytime Derek Thanks so much. Stay safe.
1: Okay. Yep. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.